Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely, what Sir Francis Drake may have considered a weird distraction from everyday life. As the title states, we're going back in time to redo, relearn, and relove a previously chatted about distraction. But before we dive into that, I'll fill you in on what I need a distraction from. If you ever want to hear your need for a distraction in a future episode, feel free to send me an email, shoot me a message on either Instagram, I was going to say Twitter, but is it X or is it still Twitter? I don't really know. Regardless, feel free just to message me and I will include it in a future episode. In terms of my need for a distraction, recently my parents' 11-year-old dog, Dusty, had kind of a scary emergency vet visit where I think, if I remember correctly, it was kind of like a uterine infection of some sorts. Regardless, it was one of those situations where it was very much either proceed with this surgery or she's gonna die. And my parents got their dog around the same time that I got my oldest cat, Lee, and it's really made me realize just how upsetting it is that pets can't live forever. And I'm not going to get too much into that because if I get into that train of thought, I'm probably going to start crying and then it's just going to be a delay of actually recording this episode. Um, But yeah, my need for distraction is just facing the mortality that we all face, even our beloved pets. And for those wondering, Dusty, my parents' dog, she did get the surgery and she is so far doing really, really well. Without further delay, though, let's get into this week's episode. And I apologize if anyone is crying thinking about their pets dying. That's not my intention. It's just my need for distraction. And hopefully you can all get distracted with this episode now. It's been almost three years since we first met this spooky Georgia location as a weird distraction. I think that's more than enough time to revisit to do a re-release given a lot has changed in the last three years. With that said, say hello again to The Pirate's House, a reported haunted restaurant and former tavern located in downtown Savannah. As most newer paranormal episodes, I'll be covering the history, occult observations, and the haunts of this alleged ooky spooky location. Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, along with other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Situated at 20 East Broad Street, the establishment that would eventually become the Pirate's House would start off as neither a bar or a tavern. With its history dating back to the 1730s, the original purpose of this once 10-acre property was to be a community botanical garden, 
and reportedly was modeled similarly to the Chelsea Botanical Garden in London, England. Based on documentation I came across, there was hope for this garden to produce a wide range of things such as silk and wine. Sadly, it wouldn't produce neither silk or wine, but it's not a major loss since the garden would go on to produce peaches and cotton. With this botanical garden came its first building on site, referred to as the Herb House. The Herb House was reportedly built sometime between 1730 to 1734, however some accounts claim that it was actually built sometime in the 1950s. Regardless of the exact date, its purpose was to provide housing for the gardener who was working on the land. But just as things with the garden were progressing, locals began realizing that they didn't really actually need it anymore. I mean, everyone could just produce their own stuff in their own backyard. That, and I imagine manufacturing companies probably saw the large benefit of growing their own peaches and their own cotton and probably thought, hey, we can make more money in our pocket if we just take over and have our own garden and produce this on our own. Needless to say, the garden became less popular, and at some point after the herb house was built, it would be converted to a tavern and inn. The renovations to make this happen, I believe, took place in the 1790s. However, again, the dates associated with this location are just a little bit all over the place. So it's not concrete. It could have been the 1790s or the 1760s for all we know. Which makes me kind of wonder if we had social media back then, if we would have more concrete historical information because people would post like, oh, hey, the Herb House is becoming a tavern today. And by the way, Mary down the street is having her 12th child child or something like that. I imagine it would have been pretty hysterical, but also a little bit problematic. Now, you may be curious as to why a tavern and inn would be added to this location. Well, Savannah, for those who don't know, aka me because I didn't know until I originally covered this location, is in close proximity to the water and was known as being a port town due to this. It's become a popular port town too, plus the Herb House and its property is only about a five-minute walk to the water, give or take. Before long, it would become a popular gathering place for seamen, locals, and those just passing through. In terms of the layout, the first floor of the building would serve as the tavern, while the second floor would serve as the inn. Below the first floor lays the former rum cellar and the former underground tunnels. Savannah was once sprawling with underground tunnels across the city, yet no one seems to really know why exactly. Due to there not really being any concrete reason as to the purpose of these tunnels, there have been a plethora of different theories that have come out of the woodworks over the years. One theory, for example, explains that the underground tunnels were created to transport those who succumbed to the yellow fever epidemic in 1876. We've seen such reasons in previous haunted locations, such as former poorhouses or tuberculosis-based hospitals, where basically they put underground tunnels in order to transport those who have perished due to the sickness, or just in general who have died, in order to keep them out of sight for those who are still sick and trying to recover. To seemingly produce this kind of bleak ignorance that, oh no, everything's fine, just don't look downstairs at the tunnel and you won't see all the dead bodies. Another theory that I wanted to highlight that surrounds the underground tunnels of the pirate's house, though, is a bit more sinister. When the Herb House became the Inn and Tavern, it slowly got a bit of a bad reputation, and that's because it would host some probable drunken nights, and I'm sure we can picture the scene. Drunken sailors, pirates, locals, mixing and mingling together under one roof. It probably got rowdy, 
it probably also got weird and, well, maybe a bit violent. These drunken nights led to rumors of visitors being shanghaied, i.e. kidnapped and taken on a ship to do labor for no pay. Allegedly, drunk patrons that passed out at the tavern would be taken through the tunnel, not sure if by locals or out-of-town sailors or pirates, but they would be taken to nearby ships where they would set sail out the following morning or in the evening. Once on the ship, these kidnapped folks were forced to work, with no resume, no interviews, nothing. You may have gone to the tavern to let loose, but before you know it, you end up passed out drunk, waking up with another job, and on the waters to who knows where after being sold to a random sea captain. One unnamed victim of this kind of Shanghai tunnel situation at the pirate's house that I came across in my research was a reported Savannah police officer. The tale takes place in 1818, and this officer supposedly strolled into the bar one night for a drink. After maybe having one too many, the officer allegedly woke up the next day on a boat to Shanghai, China. The story further claims that it took this man two years to get back to Savannah. Although there could be a possibility that these tunnels, specifically at the pirate's house, were created to, I don't know, kidnap and basically traffic people that were too drunk at the bar to become part of a random ship's payroll, it's not set in stone that this was the exact reason the tunnels were created. Despite a lack of concrete purpose for the tunnels, the tavern's reputation was also hindered due to alleged bloodshed that apparently took place on site. Now, I couldn't come across specific events, which always frustrates me a bit, but I also have to understand that that's kind of folklore in a nutshell. However, there was one incident that continued to pop up in my research, one that seems to be missing a lot of the rich details we all love, which makes me think it could just be local lore. Anyways, this mentioned event involved a group of six American sailors that were attacked by knife-wielding French privateers. One resource noted that this incident took place on the second floor of the building, and out of this incident, it was reported that three men died. Eventually, the tavern and inn fell on hard times and shut down for a period of time. By 1948, the pirate's house and surrounding land was bought by the Savannah Gas Company, where a Mrs. Hillier, the wife of the president of said company, revamped the house and made it into a restaurant. The restaurant remains today, boasting 15 dining rooms that can hold up to 120 guests. Jumping to 1953, two men named Herb Traub and Jim Casey purchased the restaurant, naming it the Pirate's House. After Jim and Herb purchased the property, they eventually decided to do some renovations to the then over 150-year-old establishment. In 1962, while staff were expanding the kitchen, they stumbled upon one of the remaining unclosed tunnels in the basement. This particular tunnel measured 12 yards long and goes underneath the original Herb House but it doesn't seem to connect to anything, apparently. Now, interestingly enough, or maybe weirdly enough, when exploring this tunnel, workers found a cannonball. After some further digging into the property's history, it was discovered that there was a war fort built on a property at one point known as Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne, from what has been stated online, was never used in war, so therefore it was eventually torn down, and what remained was simply a remnant of the past. Today, it appears the Pirate's House continues to honor its past while serving up some southern home-cooked meals. Now, before we get into some occult observations and into the reported haunts of the Pirate's House, because I know we're all dying to get there, I did want to mention a very interesting connection that the Pirate's House has to a popular book. 
1883, Robert Louis Stevenson published the book Treasure Island, which tells the tale of one character, a ruthless man named Captain Flint, who is out to find treasure. It's just your very classic pirate story. And I kind of want to say it was the first, but I could be wrong. Literature majors, please don't come at me. Now, in the book, Captain Flint and the Haunted Pirate House are mentioned, which makes sense since claims state that Stevenson visited the pirate's house for its inspiration. Now, speaking of making some visits, let's see what others have had to say about their time at the pirate's house with some occult observations. For those new here, Occult Observations is where we read the good, the bad, and the downright weird reviews involving the spooky locations I cover. Usually I try to read at least two negative reviews and two positive reviews per location, and for this week's distraction, our observations are coming from good old Google reviews. We'll kick things off with the negative reviews so that we can end on a positive note. The first observation is from user Timothy B. They left a 1 out of 5 star rating and their observation reads as follows. The historical aspect is cool, but the food here was garbage. Service was shoddy, general manager and bartenders were rude, and the overall experience was way overhyped. You'll spend more than you want on the food and be very disappointed if you've spent similar amount of money at any decent restaurant. Award-winning chicken was dry and soggy at the same time somehow, and the fries were cold. End of observation. The next one comes from user Charles M. Probably not Charles Manson, but you never know. They left one out of five stars, and their observation reads as follows. Way overrated and overpriced. This place is for the tourists and ghost hunters. Food was just not good. Shrimp and grits, a Savannah favorite, looked like a brown blob of gravy on a plate. She crab soup tasted too fishy, like old seafood was dumped into the stock broth. Friendly staff and waitresses, just not good food. And at about $60 for two, no appetizers or cocktails, there are much better choices in Savannah. End of observation. Now, moving on to the positive observations, we have the first one from user Ashley S. They gave a four to five rating and their observation reads as follows. We came from Florida and love the history of the oldest house in Georgia. We sat in the Herb Room, which was originally built in 1733. The stories of ghosts and hauntings made it impossible to skip. The food was decent but not overly superb for the price. We were super disappointed when the only appetizer we wanted was not available because they had no green tomatoes. Steak lacked flavor and was a little undercooked from my medium request. My daughter's pasta was also a bit bland, but was okay, she said. The server was attentive and friendly. Overall, it was a neat place to say we saw and visited. Make sure to visit the gift shop upstairs and wander the halls and banquet rooms to explore and experience as much of the house as you can. End of observation. Lastly, we've got the final observation from user Martha S. Could be Martha Stewart, potentially. And they gave a 4 out of 5 star rating and the observation reads as follows. Great buffet as part of Savannah Ghost Tour. Wonderful biscuits slash rolls, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, tilapia, pulled pork, veggies. Visit to area underneath the restaurant. Don't miss the gift shop. End of observation. Sounds like this place may be a great stop on a local ghost tour. However, it could potentially be hit or miss food wise based on the reviews but hey give it a try you never know what you might get whether it's a good meal or maybe an encounter with a ghost speaking of which let's get into the reported haunts
The history of the pirate's house, though varying in minor details, sure adds up to be a potential haunted hotspot. Some of the haunts include the usual things we've heard of in previous episodes, including visitors and staff witnessing shadow figures, folks witnessing orbs, and reports of unexplainable phantom footsteps. Staff have reported that if they are alone in the building, they feel this overwhelming sensation of being watched. Some staff have indicated in these moments when they turn around, they allegedly lay eyes on what appears to be someone dressed in dated sailor's clothing standing there before fading away to nothing. People who walk past the restaurant who seemingly take photos, because why wouldn't you, later claim to have captured people in various windows, which, when these photos are shown to staff, it's then learned that no one would be in that section of the building at the time that the photograph was taken. One of the weird paranormal phenomena that allegedly has occurred at the pirate's house includes a little bit of fiction. As you may all remember from earlier, the Treasure Island character, Captain Flint, actually ends up dying at the pirate's house. Despite Captain Flint being a made-up character, there seems to be some local lore that he was once a real person and allegedly died upstairs in the bedroom of the restaurant. Furthermore, it's believed by some that Captain Flint is responsible for the paranormal phenomena in the building, even though, again, Captain Flint is a fictional character. Could he potentially be the scar-face apparition that has been witnessed in the basement and second floor? It's hard to say, but speaking of apparitions, owner Herb Tarab once shared a story that one night the closing manager came to his office all shook up after an unexplainable encounter. The closing manager explained to Herb that they were going about closing the restaurant, obviously as they were tasked to do, when they, being the manager, witnessed an apparition of a man sitting at the table. However, when they did a second take, the man was mysteriously gone, as if he just got up and bolted before the blink of an eye. Moving on to other weird, spooky happenings, there have been claims of people hearing random laughter from the second floor, and if that's not spooky enough, there seems to be some kind of poltergeist activity going on here. I say this because I came across reports of pots throwing themselves randomly against walls, as well as chairs and place settings that have been apparently known to move on their own. It could be another kind of spirit, but my mind always goes to poltergeist activity when it comes to items just moving on their own, and that could just be a very generic stereotype, but my mind always goes to poltergeist, it's a poltergeist, you've got a poltergeist. Finally, I would have so much regret if we didn't talk about the reported paranormal activity involving the underground tunnel. One claim I came across in my research involves a former Savannah policeman who was visiting the restaurant one evening, and allegedly they laid witness to what seemed to be men carrying a person down to the basement. Supposedly, this man that was being carried looked really intoxicated to the officer. So, the officer followed the crowd going to the basement, probably trying to figure out what was going on. Yet, when the officer wandered down the stairs, he was met with blocked-off tunnels and no one else. They were completely by themselves. It was as if he witnessed a reoccurring memory from yesterday's past. The staff have reportedly felt nauseous and or dizzy in the basement, specifically when they are near where the tunnels once were. The staff have noted they feel as though, overall, something doesn't want them in the basement near the tunnels. Lastly, there have been claims of staff and visitors hearing moaning where the tunnels once were, even though upon further investigation, no one is there, no one is nearby, and no one's just randomly moaning in the basement. It's unclear the specifics, again, who is haunting the pirate's house or the fine details of its past. I think that's what makes the pirate house so special in the paranormal sense, and where its tales begin to creep into the realm of lore. Because where there is lack of details, there is our imagination. 
the Pirate's House, being one of the state's oldest buildings, continues to remain as one of the most haunted places in the state. Fun weird fact, the Pirate House remains the only Georgia-based weird distraction discussed so far on the show, which is kind of surprising given the state of Georgia is known to be pretty haunted. I mean, look at today's distraction as a prime example. Perhaps re-releasing this episode will be kind of a catalyst for me to cover more haunted locations from the Peach State. Either that or it's going to continue to motivate me wanting to visit there. I I think it's going to be a mixture of both. Let me know your thoughts on today's episode over on the podcast's social media accounts or feel free to shoot me an email. And if you've ever been to the Pirate's House or any other Georgia haunted location, feel free to write in and tell me all about it. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.